Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Longer than there have been fishes in the ocean, I've been in love with you. Number one wedding song of the late 80s and early 90s. Blast from the past. Perhaps at your wedding, in fact. Feels like I sang it a thousand times at weddings over the years. Uh, you remember when you were so in love, all you could think about was the other one? Now, whether that was last night or a fortnight ago is up to you. But uh, Le- Leanne and I were talking earlier this week about. Uh, our high school days when we were dating in high school and in some ways it seems like it was yesterday and in many ways could grief it seems like a thousand years ago based on how our world has changed and what what around us has changed we're going to talk this month and next about about family your your family and mine uh whether it's whether you're alone, you have extended family, brothers and sisters, or whether you're married and have kids, regardless of what family looks like for you. It's under attack. The enemy is intentional about attacking it. He's coming against you. He's trying to, to break down the, the family unit and, and the, family, the family structure in our culture because, and he's intentional about it because he knows when that's gone, that's the linchpin to the rest of it. And he's, he's, he's on, the, on the move, I think, trying to uh, not only redefine family, but to, to make family crumble on the vine. So I want to give you some tools and weapons this, these next few weeks to come against him, to stand, in, stand for truth, stand for what you know to be right according to the Scripture, and give you some courage, hopefully, to, uh, to, to make that stand. Turn to, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to, we're not going to spend the bulk of our time here today, but I want to give you the basis of what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, because this this is the crux of our text for the next several weeks. Uh, We're going to pull sections out of it that are relevant to that week. But I want you to get an overall view of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Picking up in verse 22 of chapter 5 of Ephesians and reading down through verse 4 of chapter 6. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he, he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to, uh, to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own, his own body, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave, the, leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, Each one of you should also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want us to see two things today, not from this text, but from, from the text in Malachi chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 2, if you want to turn there and stick your thumbs there. Um, the two things I want us to see is, the first of which is this, is that marriage is a covenant. Uh, it's not defined that way anymore in our culture. Marriage is negotiable in our culture. It's a commodity. It's a, it's a tool that is used for uh, sometimes our career good or for our uh, for our good. And then most often, sadly, is tossed by the wayside when it no longer fits our, our needs. And so, uh, but when you see marriage as a covenant, it changes things. It changes how you view not only your marriage relationship with your spouse, but changes how you view other other marriages of friends around you. It changes how you speak to your kids, how you, how you, what you talk about to them as it relates to marriage and family. And not only that, what you model in front of them in, in that regard as well. Uh, this idea of marriage being a covenant is, is what I want us to see from Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. It says, another thing you do, you, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accept him, accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. He is not, or has not the Lord made them one? In, in flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Talks about in verse 14 about marriage being a covenant. Three things I want us to see about a covenant. The first of which is this. That covenants are initiated by a vow. They're initiated by a vow. God, if you remember, made a, made a covenant with Noah and a vow with Noah uh, in, in Genesis chapter 9 that he would no longer destroy the earth by water. Uh, he made a vow with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that he would be the father of many nations, that he would bless his offspring and their offspring and their offspring, and that his, his descendants would outnumber the sands on the seashore. Covenants are initiated by a vow. Second thing I want us to see about covenants is that they're ratified by blood. That was, that was the case with Noah and Abraham as well. Both of those offered sacrifices, blood sacrifices to the Lord when the Lord made the vow to them. So here's the physical nature of this covenant being brought into play. We'll look more at that in just a second. The third thing I want to see about covenants is that they're not only initiated by a vow and ratified by blood, but the third thing is the covenants are sealed by a sign. They're sealed by a sign. In Genesis chapter 9, that sign to Noah was a rainbow. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 17, that sign went to, to Abraham was circumcision. He sealed those covenants with a sign, ratified by blood and initiated by a vow. Now, let's look at the marriage relationship in context to a covenant. Uh, that those, those vows, you say, when you, you were married, where that was in a church or by a uh, judge or wherever that was, you, you, you exchanged marriage, marriage vows, and, and to those vows you said, I do, or I will. I, I, I will do those things, or I will vow to be that and do that to you. 
The second thing is this conjoining of bodies that he talks about here in, uh, we just read in Ephesians, and we'll look at it again in Genesis chapter 2 in just, just a moment. But this conjoining of bodies brings, brings covenant physically to, to the covenant that was verbalized. Uh, not necessarily in terms of blood, but, but, but this physical bond that is brought to the covenant. The symbols that we share together in, in, in current days is often a ring. Uh, as, as I said, the symbol and the sign to Noah was a rainbow, to Abraham was circumcision, but the sign to those around us that we're married is that we have a ring on the third finger of our left hand. Uh, these, these, these covenants, in fact, the word covenant in Malachi chapter 2 is this Hebrew word hesed, which means a loyal love, one that cannot be broken, one that is bonded together, that, that this world cannot break apart. A loyal love, this hesed love. Marriage is a covenant. Secondly, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And I've referred to this text often before in a lot of different, uh, other contexts. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, for, the re for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. We're talking about marriage having a blueprint. Marriage has a blueprint. Uh, the blueprint is this idea that we see in, in verse 24 of chapter 2 of Genesis about leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh. Leaving, in essence, the baggage that we left behind in the home that we were reared in, that we grew up in. You may have had great models, marriage models, in, in the home where you grew up in by your mother and dad. Meant those may not have been so great, or perhaps you came from a broken home or, or a home where divorce uh, or a stepdad or stepmom was a part of your, your family equation. None of that you can predict and see happen see beforehand, but it, it affects you. It, it is your default system. It's what you fall back to in, re in reference point to marriage. Marriage is what I saw it to be growing up. Well, that's our default system until we see something else. And I want, if that's your default system, and that default system is based on a broken model, uh, whether, whether it applies to divorce or, or estrangement or whatever, whatever else, or even death for that matter, uh, whether, whether you were, had a widower father or a widowed mother. Uh, when that marriage is broken, when the model of it is broken, that, that is still a, a broken default system that we have. And so until we begin to think differently and reprogram our thinking according to God's word in Ephesians 5, we're going to see marriage as a negotiable uh, means instead of, instead of something that, that is covenant, that's bonded together by God and by us. But leaving the baggage of what was, what we, what, what, what was behind us what we, in the homes we came from is, is this idea of leaving. This idea of cleaving is both to God, of our collectively, the two of us cleaving to him, holding on to him, and cleaving to each other. I often use this term with a white knuckle grip in terms of the fact I'm not letting go. There, there, there's, there's, there's just, there's nothing that, that will breach and sever this relationship. I'm cleaving to him and cleaving to each other. If, if I've done any pre-marriage counseling with you, you've heard this story before, but some of you haven't, so I'll tell it real, real briefly. Uh, Leanne and I's first uh, knockdown drag-out fight that, that nobody actually got knocked down or drug out, but was a legitimate. Uh, at least it was legitimate on her side. Anyway, I, I'm still not sure I was right, on the right or wrong of that deal, deal. But in fact, I don't even remember what it was about. She doesn't either. We've talked about this. Um, anyway, our, our first fight, she, she goes to the bedroom, gets out a suitcase, pulls up in the dresser, starts throwing some clothes in the suitcase. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to mom's. 
So I go to the closet. I get me a, it wasn't a suitcase, it was a gym bag. And I start throwing some clothes in the gym bag. She says, where, do, where are you going? I said, I'm going to your mom's too. You, you cannot get rid of me. This is, we're, we're bonded together. And so this is, if this is as hard as it gets, we're going to have it pretty easy because this is a solvable problem. But whether we solve it at your mom's or whether we solve it here, we're going to solve the problem. We're not going to separate and run from this. And that's exactly what he's talking about in Genesis 2 is cleave to each other. Hang on to each other. Make sure that, that nothing is able to sever that bond because it's designed as a covenant and designed by God. So leaving, cleaving, and the third idea is, is this idea of becoming one flesh. Now you notice he doesn't say be one flesh. He says to become one flesh, meaning it's a process. It's not something we're born with a natural bent to do, to, to put ourselves aside and to put you ahead of me. We're born selfish. We're born into sin. We're born with me on the throne. And so to let go of that and, and to become one flesh to where the other one is more important at, uh, than I am in the relationship is a process of, that has to be learned, that has to be practiced, that has to be put in place. It's a, it's a physical process. It's an emotional process. Uh, and, and, and those two, when those two come together, this bonding together physically and emotionally is what God has in mind. It's not what, what Hollywood has in mind. Hollywood didn't invent sex. God did. And he, he designed for it to be this union between man and woman that both physically and emotionally bonds them together. Now, let me say this as well. If, you're, if, if the sex in your marriage is not getting better with time, you're missing something. You're either missing one of two things usually is the case. You're either missing communication. Communication being, in I'm talking in terms of what we like, what, what satisfies us, or, or what we don't like, what, what doesn't. It's either communication or, in many cases, it's motivation. If, let me say this as frankly as I can to you. If you really want sex to, to be moved to a deeper level in your marriage, seek the other one's pleasure more than you seek your own. If you'll seek their pleasure more than you seek your own, your pleasure will be greater too. I'll promise you that. So don't be afraid to communicate with each other about what you like and don't like and, and, and see the motivation for, for, for sex, for physical intimacy, for contact to be aside from you and to, to be more pleasing to them than it is you. Uh, and then you'll start to get a picture, I think, of what God's talking about, this idea of one flesh. And look at, in fact, look at verse 25 of Genesis chapter 2. He says, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Well, the reason they didn't feel any shame is because there was total transparency there. It's exactly what he's talking about in this idea of unity, where there is, there is physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, there's transparency in every way. And, and where we, we're, we're able to not only bear our bodies, but bear our thoughts, bear our dreams, bear our souls with each other. And there's a climate of trust there where all that can happen. And there's, not, there's no shame. If I could diagram this for you and give you a physical reference of what I'm talking about, it would be this triangle that where you see man and woman and God in this triangle of, of this mutual leaving, cleaving, and becoming one flesh, becoming one with God together, becoming one with my wife. You see that, that man's vehicle is to his wife and to, to, his, to his Lord. The woman's vehicle is to her husband and to God, and God's vehicle is to both the two, the two of us. That's, that's this concept of what he's talking about when he says to become one flesh in body, soul, and spirit. Now, 
most often where we found the role of body taken into place is at the initiative of the man. Most men usually initiate physical intimacy and contact with their wife in, in the marriage. Not all the time, but most cases that's the, that's the case. And so we think of man's role in terms of body. We think of woman's role in terms of the soul, of her being the soul of the marriage, her being uh, the, the mental, where, where our mind, our will, and our emotions come together to meet, to form our soul. If, if there is <clears throat> a marriage that's not a covenant marriage, it's hard for the, for the soul to be, to be sought after and, and moved toward. When that's the case, you're going to find a relationship where you're not just husband and wife, you're not just in some agreement with each other. It's not just, just a, a, an arrangement of sorts. But you're in a covenant marriage with a person that is your best friend. That you can, you can share anything with about anything anywhere at any time. And you know that that, that, is, that person is, is a trusted person. This idea of, of our having body, soul, and spirit, the spirit comes in with God's relationship with us and his role in us to where we not only see each other as, as husband and wife, but when we are listening to and walking in communion with his spirit, we're seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ as well. So this body, soul, and spirit idea involving God, man, and woman is this idea of our becoming one flesh. And as I said, we're, we're not born with a natural bent in this direction, so we've got to work at it. It's a process, and, and we've got to want that before we move to it. And so as, as we want it, we're going to move toward it, and, be, and we'll find ourselves over time joining physically and emotionally to become one flesh. Sadly, as I said a moment ago, in our culture, <clears throat> marriages have become arrangements instead of covenants. In fact, if you look at, if you ask most people on the street what a covenant is, they'll just kind of look at you funny covenant. Uh, you sign one of those when you go get a mortgage on your house, don't you? Is that what? And they, have, they have no concept of, of the bond together that God describes in Scripture as we looked at it in Malachi a minute ago of what a covenant is. Uh, and sadly, as well, the, the blueprint that many see for marriage is what they've seen or what our culture paints or what Hollywood says to them as opposed to what God says about it as we just looked at in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, this blueprint if, if, if it's going to change for you and your, and your marriage and your relationship with your, your spouse and for how your kids grow up to see marriage as well, if that's going to change, we've got to change the model. We've got to change what is seen. As I said, perhaps you, you come from a home where you don't want to model some of the things you saw or perhaps you want, want to model a few of them and let some other things go or perhaps you saw a godly marriage. You want to, I wish my marriage was, was like my mom and dad's far more than it is. <clears throat> as you see those, those kinds of models and you look at Ephesians 5 and Malachi chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 2 and you see these pieces being put together you got to come to a conclusion my marriage looks like that or it doesn't and if it doesn't do I want that if I, if I want that I got to want it more enough to move away from what our, how our culture is defining this and move toward, more toward what God says and so it so especially if I'm going to hand down something to the generation behind me and the generation behind them, I'm going to have to want it and to, in order to move toward it. So as, as I say, the model's got to intentionally change. And that, in our culture, is not going to happen easily and it's not going to happen naturally. You're, you're going to be going against the grain because our culture is so me-centered that marriages are me-centered. If it's not meeting my needs, I'll, just, I'll discard it and get rid of it. 
And so this idea of, of, of self, selfless sacrificial love, we'll look more at that next week, is a foreign concept that's got to be, as I said, intentionally pursued. If, if we're going to see it and model that for our kids. And so if, if, if the word is going to make sense to us that we just read, then we're going to have to want to model after it and fashion our relationships according to it. Um, as we saw in, in Ephesians 5 verse 32, uh, Paul talks to the Ephesian church about this being a profound mystery. He said, I'm referring to Christ in the church, and he is. But he's also referring to this idea of a man and his bride. This profound mystery idea is, I think, uh, began in Genesis as well. And what is mysterious to me, I'm, I'm going to just give you my opinion about this in addition to uh, the church and bride, uh, Christ and his bride, the church. What is a profound mystery to me is that we are better together than we are alone. We just are. In fact, Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, The Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. And it's not. Most men aren't, aren't, aren't as good alone as they are with a mate, with a spouse. Now, you find God's will for you, and you find that person for you. Don't, don't run out here and get married next week because Tim said my life's supposed to be better with a spouse. Find God's mate for you, and, and, and if God has singleness for you, that's fine too. In fact, if, he, if you're divorced or single here today, and you're thinking, how, does, how in the world does this apply to me? It should apply to you because you need to pray for marriages and families to work, whether you're married or not. Because when marriages and families break down in our culture, our culture breaks down. So, so if you're single or divorced, there's plenty for you to pray about. That God holds, the, holds those bonds to, as, as the bedrock and the glue that holds our society together. That those bonds are held together. But... But this idea of, of, of our not being uh, as, as well singularly as we are plurally, I think is a biblical idea. Because, and, and I will tell you, it's a, it, it is a profound mystery to me. Uh, because I am, I'm a fairly, Leanne will tell you, I'm a fairly independent guy. And, and I, I think I can do more than I can do most of the time. But it didn't take me probably to that first disagreement where, where she and I were both packing bags to go to her mom's to realize I need her and I still need her in fact more than ever it is a profound mystery but we're better together uh, this, this mystery of our, our being designed to fit each other about his giving uh, uh, Genesis talks about God making a helper suitable that word suitable is a powerful word in Scripture. It means fitable. In fact, like a glove that suits, fills in the gaps where I'm weak, and, and, and the same for the other one. That, that idea of our being a suitable fit is a profound mystery to me. It's a, it's a God thing. Not only a God thing, but it's a flesh thing, and it's a spirit thing, and it's an emotional thing, and it's a relational thing, and it's a covenant thing, and it's a blueprint thing. It's a profound mystery. Marriage is a profound mystery of how, how, how better life works with someone than without someone. And so my counsel to you is seek someone. And if you don't have a, someone in your life that, that is a spouse, seek somebody you're going to be accountable to. A friend or a group of friends, you need to be accountable to someone on a regular basis to where this idea, of, 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 as I talked about earlier, of our being totally transparent with each other and unashamed, 
We all need that. In fact, we're better with it, and we're not very good without it. And so this, this mystery of our, of our marriage relationship making us better, making us become one, pursue this process of oneness over time, uh, is in, indeed, to me, to me at least, a profound, profound mystery. And so I want to encourage you to rethink. I don't care if you've been married five minutes or 50 years. I want to encourage you to rethink how God defines marriage and start to look at the models we look at today to say, does our marriage look like that? Are, are we intentionally pursuing that? Is that where we want to go? Is that the direction we want to go? As I said a moment ago, you've got to want it before you can move toward it. And I, I hope that your heart's desire is to want that. And as I said as well, please don't take offense at, at this, because it's not intended from my heart that's judgmental or in some way, uh, well, if you're single or divorced, uh, God has a role and a place for you. Even if, it, if, if that is the, the, the lot of your life, if you believe that's God's plan for you, walk in it. Paul did. Stayed single his whole life and walked in singleness because he, he felt like that was God's design for him. And, and, and it was. And look at good grief. Look at what, what God did through his life. So don't, don't hear uh, judgment from me if you're not married or if you're divorced or if you're widowed or whatever else. Don't, don't, don't see, seek the need to go find somebody next week. But realize, you, you, we need each other, and, and the body works together. The body works better together when we need each other. Marriages and families work better together when we need each other, and we do need each other desperately. And I, I, I hope we'll come to pray for each other, that, that God makes homes and marriages and, and, and single folks and divorced folks uh, to see ourselves as a, as a this is going to sound real new agey, I don't mean it this way, but see ourselves as a tapestry that God's weaving together where we need we function better together than we do alone. That's what the body's designed to do. The body of Christ is designed to do as well. So seek those kind of things. And let, let them be an intentional part of your spirit where you pursue them. Uh, going to get more specific as we walk through this over these next few weeks. But I wanted to start with saying, here's what marriage is and here's what it isn't. It's a covenant. There's a blueprint here for it. And either my, my, we are in a covenant marriage or we're not. Hear this though. If you're in a marriage that looks more like an agreement than a covenant, it's never too late to turn that ship around. It's never too late to turn that ship around. I've counseled with folks in their late 50s and early 60s that, that thought about walking away. And once they saw, this is a covenant. This is a commitment. There are vows and signs and symbols. and We've we, we had life together that, that, that God's designed for us to be together. And so it's the enemy himself that's trying to pull us apart. It's the enemy that's trying to drive a wedge in our culture and a wedge in our home and a wedge in our family and a wedge with our friends. And It's the enemy that's doing that. When we start to beat the enemy back, we start to see more clearly, here's what's in front of me and been in front of me the whole time. That he clouded my vision and my judgment where I couldn't see it anymore. And as we start to pursue that, I'm going to tell you, it, it is, there, there is no point at which that's not redeemable. I don't care how far you, you, I don't care how deep the wedge is. I don't care how badly you've been hurt or wronged. I don't care how, how there, there's no point at which that is not redeemable because I've seen God do some incre <clears throat> excuse me, incredible things with things that probably I would have walked away from myself. And I've seen him heal it. He's just faithful. Even when we're not, he's faithful. Let's pray. Father, today, give us a glimpse of what your, your design for marriage is to be. It is indeed, Malachi tells us, a holy, holy covenant. Not just with each other, 
promises we've made to you about each other and to you about you and us. That covenant is, is not intended to be broken, but bound, bound together even as life gets harder and harder and harder. And as we start to see the, even a greater need to lean on each other for help and strength and encouragement, you've designed for marriage to be that way. For us to have a, a partner, a suitable, fitable, glove-fit partner for us. And if we found that person, God teaches to pursue them and run after them and chase after them with all our heart. It's, it is your design that we see marriage as a covenant. It's your design that we see your blueprint in, in, in your word, that we walk according to it, and you're going to bless and encourage and make fruit grow out of our marriage. As we do that, give us, the, give us the passion to pursue it, to want it, to seek it, understanding that all the while, the enemy's coming after us. He has us in his sights. He has our marriage in his sights. He has our family in his sights. He's trying to, one piece at a time, one family at a time, break down churches, break down homes, and eventually break down our culture. As we stand on your word, stand behind your truth, We'll, we'll begin to look at him and say, not me, not in this place, not in my home. Give us the courage to stand against him with your word, with the scripture on our side. that defines who we're supposed to be about and how we're supposed to walk this life out together with each other. Bring that want to. Create that, that longing again, that, that freshness again, that, that deep love again that we had for each other. Whether it was a fortnight ago or last night, rekindle that. Bring that back to us. Stir in us a fresh love for each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.